right, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 13. This is the one that lost people need to read. This book was written so that people would believe. If you want a, a, an effortless soul winning uh, method, and you can't exactly get somebody to sit there and talk with you, tell them this. Say, read the book of John. Do a deal with me. Read one chapter a day of the book of John. There's 21 chapters. only taking three weeks. Just agree with me that you will read the gospel of John. Because it's the book that was written so people Amen. would believe. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm saying that's the only soul-winning thing you should ever use. But that is one good one. Uh, Entrance of thy words giveth light. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And if there's anything for them to read, it'd be the Gospel of John, because that's written just for faith and belief. All right, now, in the Gospel of John, we're not preaching salvation today. We're preaching to Christians. Uh, John chapter 13, let's begin reading verse 12. And uh, this is right after the Lord has washed the disciples' feet very near the end of his life. John chapter 13 and verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. As you know, in the Middle Eastern countries, they have the custom uh, that they would wash feet when people would uh, come and visit their home, that sort of thing, because they were out walking in the dusty uh, roads in nothing but sandals, and uh, they'd get dirty, and they'd wash their feet, and there are even groups called foot washing Baptists that learn from this, and I'll have to, and although I don't think that's an actual ordinance of the church, I will say uh, they were trying their best to follow the Word of God. I'll say that for them. And it is a humbling thing. Oh, boy. And uh, the Bible says in verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, we don't believe in only using lifestyle evangelism. But we don't want to go so far that we deny the importance of giving somebody a good example. Now, you need to follow that good example up with some words and preach Jesus unto people, as the Bible says. But an example is an important thing. And living right in front of them is a real good thing to do. And Jesus gave examples of how to live, and one of the, his great lessons was humility. One of the outstanding things about the Lord Jesus Christ is that there was no pride. You would not have thought from his exaltation of himself that he was the Son of God. Now, he said that he was the Son of God, and he was the Son of God, and it's absolutely true that he was the Son of God, but he didn't strut around like a peacock bragging about being the Son of God, although he did teach that and say that. Verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye, if ye do them, I want to take our text from verse 17. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I want to preach this morning on New Testament happiness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you come down now and bear witness to the truth of your word. And Lord, this is a real important topic. And in spite of all the things that uh, we have that supposedly is making everybody so happy these days, we have more people in therapy and more people on dope and more people miserable and more people attempting suicide. Uh, maybe ever before, certainly at near record levels. And dear God, I pray that you'd help us and I pray you'd show us uh, what we need to know, uh, those of us who are saved at least, about happiness. Uh, dear God, as you've taught it in your word, for those of us who have trusted our Lord, I pray that we'd follow his example. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. All right, now I'm talking about happiness. I'm talking about lifelong, more permanent happiness. Now, as you know, all of us, men and women, have some feminine characteristics. And all of us, men and women, have some masculine characteristics. So one of the feminine characteristics that we all have, but it is more pronounced in the ladies, because they're more feminine, 
is uh, this desire to feel better in the moment. And But men want that too sometimes, I'll guarantee you. On the other hand, the more masculine side is that which wants to fix the problem permanently. The more masculine part of you is not nearly so concerned about how you feel in the moment as it is, how can I fix this to never happen for the rest of my life? <laughs> All right, that's the masculine. The feminine is, I want to feel better right now. And we all have some of both. Oh, yeah. All right, now one thing that's a real big deal right now is going and talking to people about your problems. And what that'll do is that'll help you feel better in the moment. There are people that I call for counsel and comfort and help when I'm feeling bad in the moment. And I'm glad I can. I'm glad I have some close family members and friends and uh, people that care about me that I can call and talk to because the problem that I'm dealing with isn't one that they can exactly fix. But it sure is better to feel better in the moment. Sometimes just having a good cry and actually feeling the feelings that you're feeling at that moment and giving them expression will help you to feel better in the moment. But I tell you what that'll never do. It'll never fix the problem long term. <laughs> All right, that's where we need the masculine. That's why God gave us men and women. That's why he gave every one of us some masculine and some feminine. And, of course, one of the funny things you'll hear, you know, if you ever read any of this uh, counseling stuff and you know, problems in the men and women dealing with each other is, men, we don't need you to fix their problem. <laughs> Just feel their feeling, you know, and talk to them. They want to feel better in the moment. Well, the problem is if he doesn't try to fix their problems, he's not a man. And then nobody wants anything to do with him. <laughs> but if she doesn't want to feel better in the moment, she's not a woman. And uh, the masculine and the feminine, is just it just comes up that way. Now, we're going to talk about some things today uh, that might help you feel a little bit better in the moment, but mainly, they're going to bring you what we call long-term happiness. They're going to fix the problem, because there is a problem in this country with people having joy. Now, there's not a problem in this country with people saying they're happy. <laughs> oh, my word. Boy, to read the stuff, they, everybody has figured out the key to happiness. But a year or two later, with a bankruptcy and, a, and another broken relationship and another broken friendship and another uh, bout of despair and another round of drugs and continually going to that therapist, counselor, or whatever they call it, a decade later, it is clear the problem is not fixed. And something that only helps you feel better in the moment has not done anything for you 10 years later. So we're going to talk about New Testament happiness, and we're going to talk about some things that will help you to feel better in the moment, a little, but mainly they'll fix the problem. And the first one we'll take is uh, from John chapter 13 here, our text. John chapter 13, verse 17, and Jesus has just went around and washed the feet of the disciples and said, uh, I've given you an example, and you be sure and do the same thing. For if I, your Lord and Master, can wash your feet, you can sure wash everybody else's feet. I sure had to come down further to wash yours than you're ever going to have to go down to wash anybody else's. Amen. And that's a real good thing for Christians to remember sometime. And, you know, I come from a different time where uh, people had better teaching, and there was some stuff that we would not tolerate back in those days, and rightfully so, because people knew better. But we live in a generation of people now, they don't know any better. Amen. There's some things we have to tolerate now we wouldn't have tolerated in years past. Because people literally are, and I say this, I don't mean this to be derogatory, but I guess it is, people really are that stupid now. People really are struggling with moral questions that were a given for much of history, and certainly American history. And uh, so we're going to we're gonna have to change some things and learn, you know what, I can humble myself to deal with some people that don't know some things because they didn't have a mom and daddy like mine. They haven't been under some Bible teaching and preaching like I have been. So God helped me to humble myself. And if we ever think, well, I'm not going to help somebody that low and somebody that sinful and somebody that perverted and somebody that messed up, just remember however far you have to go to help one of those is still not near as far as Jesus had to come to help you. Good point. All right, so the first one here uh, from John 13, verse 17, we'll say is happiness of conduct. Happiness of conduct. Jesus said, if ye know these things, happier ye, look at it, if ye 
do them. All right, I, I guess I'm giving the best one and the most important one and the biggest, most life-changing one first. You know, you're supposed to save the best for last. Well, we don't do that in this sermon. Here's the biggie. If you want to find happiness that actually fixes the problem and does not only make you feel better in the moment, and don't get me wrong, that's a blessing. I, I thank God I got, I got some people in the Rolodex I can call and feel better in the moment. I got some from the Bob Jones group. I got some from the Ruckman group. I got some from my family group. I got some from my friend group. <laughs> I've got them from all these groups, and I'm blessed, and I'm surrounded by love more than most people are from a number of different categories, but having said that, I also want to fix the stupid problem yeah. <laughs> and not keep fighting it. And so uh, the first thing that will absolutely change you more than I suppose any of the others that we're talking about is take action. Dad's uh, teaching a real good lesson on soul winning. And you can sit and study soul winning and you can sit and know the answers for soul winning and know how to answer this objection and that objection, but nothing will do you better than speaking up and saying something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you don't remember the right answer to answer, and a lot of people hold back, well, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, it'll do you better to take action, even if you don't exactly say it right, than it will to not even try, because you're waiting until you have the perfect answer for everything. You are going to have to take action. One big secret to happiness in the New Testament is, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, what are these things in this context? Well, first of all is humility. Humility. Be willing to get down and wash the feet of people that are lower than you in whatever category you may be thinking in your mind they're lower than you. They're more perverse than you, and, and Lord knows we're messed up in this country and all over the world now. They're poorer than you. They're not as educated as you. They're in some socioeconomic class that you might think is lower than you. Not near as much as what Jesus came down to, though. Amen. So, number one, if you know these things about humbling yourself and being a help and blessing and washing other people's feet, you know what? Happier ye if you do them. He didn't say, and if you know these things, boy, you'll be real happy. It won't do any good at all to your happiness just to hear this sermon. You're going to have to go do something about it. Good You're going to have to go find somebody in some sense lower than you. And I don't mean that in a prideful way. I mean in that they haven't had the, the benefits that you've had. They haven't had the blessings that you've had. They don't know the Lord like you do. Some of those types of things, not in a, you know, you're better than them by birth type of a thing. What you're going to have to do is take action. Happiness of conduct, uh, humility. All right, here's another one, salvation. All over the Bible Belt, they've heard, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Just believe, just believe. Receive the Lord. Receive Him as your Savior. Have you trusted the Lord as your Savior? They've heard these things in many pockets all over the Bible Belt for years and years and years. But you know what a lot of them have never done? They've never acted on it. They've never actually received the Lord. They have comforted themselves with the thought that, Well, yeah, they, somebody told me it's just believe, just believe, just believe. I'm sure glad I don't have to do anything. But they never actively believed. They never act, act, uh, actively received. They never actually put their trust in him. They said, well, I do feel good that I don't have to give any money. I do feel good that I don't have to do any works. I do feel good that I don't have to go to some certain church. But they've never done anything. Hey, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. There's some people all over the world, and especially in the Bible Belt in the United States of America, that have heard it and heard it and heard it, and it's about time they do something about it. Good point, amen. Humility, salvation, here's a good one. Bible reading, prayer, witnessing, church, separation, all these kinds of things. They've heard the sermons. They've heard it explained that, hey, we need to be different than this world. Hey, we need to not uh, please this flesh. Hey, we need to look out for spiritual evil things and devil things and witchcraft things. And they know all that stuff is bad, but you know what they do? They just continue taking part in it. You know why? They're surrounded by it. At some point, you need to step out and separate from those things. At some point, you need to actually speak up for Jesus. At some point, you need to actually hit those knees and start talking to the Lord in prayer. At some point, you need to actually crack open a Bible and read it. They've always heard that it would be good to read the Bible, but they've never read the Bible. They've always heard it would be good to pray, but they never pray. Never go to prayer meeting. 
They just sit and worry and call the expert, the lawyer or the financial advisor or, or whoever. And those things might be good things, but they won't hold a candle to prayer. Amen. If you know these things, happier ye if you do them. Humble yourself. Be a blessing and a help. You know, washing somebody's feet didn't, wasn't exactly life-changing. It wasn't like removing a cancerous tumor or something. But it was a little blessing to them. Yeah. Uh, be a little blessing to somebody. Be willing to get down there and wash their feet. Be willing to do those things. That, now, if you can remove a cancerous tumor, if you are a surgeon, praise the Lord. That's a real big thing. But don't neglect the things that you can do just because there are things you can't do. Humility, salvation, actually trust the Lord as your Savior if you've been putting it off. Good works like Bible reading, prayer, witnessing, church, separating from some things. They know that some of the music they're listening to talks about some nasty stuff and has some nasty beat and is uh, connected to drug use. Well, I mean, of course, you've heard the term, the, the phrase, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They know it's connected to some bad stuff, but you know what they never do? They never actually separate from it. They keep listening to that junk. That's true. As they drive around, that stuff's still on in their car. And if you ask them, they'd say, yeah, this is, man. People are getting messed up these days. Well, then why is that playing in your ears? Hey, there comes a point. You need to quit talking about it. You need to quit admitting it's right. And you need to take action. Looking at stuff you shouldn't look at and listening to stuff you shouldn't listen to and hanging out with people you're hanging out with. You need to actually make separation. All right? Uh, another one is work. Happiness of conduct. There's some work that needs done. Now, we live in busy, distracted days. And when we finally get away from the stuff that we just absolutely have to do to get by, we go to one of those pleasant distractions. Oh, yeah. I'm as bad as anybody. There's stuff I've been meaning to do for months, and I hadn't done it. Uh, if you know these things, happier are you if you do them. You know what you'll be happier doing? Taking some action on stuff that you need to take. More than on just sitting there in front of something. Oh, yes. And taking part in some of those distractions. If Jesus said, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Better get to work. Now, once in a while, the distractions overwhelm us and we don't do something and we just look at those. Another time, we'll be all depressed and we just don't have the energy to keep going. You know what will get you out of the doldrums sometimes? Getting up and going. That's very true. How many times have I dreaded thinking about going and distributing the Word of God or preaching or uh, passing out tracts or trying to be a witness somewhere. Then when I did it, though, boy, I had a little pep in my step. How many times there was a special meeting and I dreaded getting ready and going to that special meeting when I could just have the night off. And then I got there and somebody said, first of all, the singing or the preaching or something stirred me up and got me going. You know what happened? I took action. And I found myself happier than if I had just on the couch <laughs> all bummed out uh, get up and do something your work, your occupation the, the, the task that you've been putting off just be industrious just be busy now part of being industrious is you get better rest that way you say I just need to rest well let me tell you the best rest you'll ever get is if you stay busy the sleep of a laboring man is sweet is that my opinion or did I just take that straight out of the word of God all right, you want good rest? Get working. And you'll get good rest. Dr. Ruckman used to say the problem with Americans is they don't get enough exercise and they don't rest enough. And that seemed contradictory. You're either exercising or you're resting. No, if you're doing one, you're doing the other. People who rest well exercise well, and people who exercise well rest well. That's very true. You will do both if you'll just do one. But when you keep laying in that bed, going back and forth like a door on its hinges, you're not getting good rest, and you won't do any good once you get up. Work, occupation, industry. Uh, I used to have a list of these things that I would go through when I, would, when I would preach along these lines. There's always a fence that needs mended. There's always an oven, refrigerator, toaster oven, kitchen, or something that needs cleaned. 
There's always a shower or bathtub that needs clean. There's always baseboards that need washed. There's always floor that needs vacuumed. There's always a dog that needs bathed. There's always something. There's always a yard that needs mowed. There's always weeds that need trimmed. There's always something. There's always a child that needs ministered to, diapers changed, dressed, fixed up, whatever. There is just work, work, work. And there's always, hey, here's a good one, uh, learn another language. Dad was talking about in the soul winning class there, how that in other parts of the country, they'll know German, French, Spanish, English. One person will know several different languages. It wouldn't hurt us to know a second. Or kind of, sort of know a second. There's a lot of Spanish-speaking people in our part of the world. Learn Spanish or kind of, sort of learn it. Um, learn a musical instrument. Boy, I'm sure glad the young people here have learned some musical instruments. Yes. Makes a difference, boy. You don't know what a blessing it'll be. You don't know what a blessing it'll be to your sweetheart, to your kids, to your friends, to your whatever. Learn. Now, you might have to you might have to put the phone down and quit scrolling social media eight, ten hours a day, but you actually learn something to be a blessing and a help to somebody. Amen. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, get an appreciation for literature. Read some poetry, some short story. Think about things. Get some wisdom from them. Do something. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Instead of watching that movie that you like for the 15th time, work on something where you learn a skill. Learn how to build a birdhouse. How to make wreaths at Christmas time. How to build a deck or something. Something along some of these. Now, nobody can do all of these things. Boy, you'd be a superman if you learned a language, learned a musical instrument, built a deck, built a birdhouse, changed the baby's diaper, and all those things, all, all of them. But hey, pick two or three of them and do them. Plant a garden. There's a good one. Amen. Grow some of your own vegetables and see the Lord bless. Oh, there are a bunch of things that you can do and stay busy. You say, oh, I'm too tired. That'll make you rest better. That's true. I'm too depressed. That'll get rid of some of the doldrums. Here's a real good one. Go somewhere where you know there's a group of people and just sit there on the bench, on the park bench beside them, smile at them, and just be a friendly face and learn their name and care a little something about them and maybe leave a gospel track with your church address on it or your address on it and just be a blessing to somebody. Just do something. You think that'd be a blessing? If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Be a witness to somebody at work. Be an encouragement to somebody at work. Bear somebody's burden at work. Somebody's gone through something and lost a loved one. Put your arm around them. Say, I'm thinking of you and praying for you. Somebody's got cancer and going through chemo and radiation. Let them know you care. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I call that one happiness of conduct. All right, the next one, let's turn over, or I'll read it to you, Acts chapter 24. The next one I call uh, happiness of conversation. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Here's Paul in trouble, and uh, he's having to answer for himself in front of the authorities. It's not the most pleasant thing. I, Lord knows I'd be scared to death. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Paul is speaking up, and he's cheerful about it. He's glad for a chance to. You know what they teach in our day? Go slink and hide. Don't say anything. Anything you say can and will be used against you. <laughs> That's what they say. Uh, Acts chapter 26, in a, in a similar situation. Acts chapter 26, verse 2. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews. All right, now you will be happier, number one, if you'll take some action, uh, conduct, Number two, if you'll go ahead and talk about some stuff. 
Now, you don't have to get into a big, long fuss. You don't have to fuss for two hours and three hours and call people names and revile them and uh, all the things that we preach against on our, on our sermon that the Lord beat me up so bad about <laughs> here about a year ago, uh, railing and reviling and that sort of thing. You don't have to do that, but you don't have to go to the other extreme and keep your mouth all shut and not say anything that somebody might be offended at. You should be offending people regularly. You're not chewing them out and running them down, but mildly offending them as you tell the truth. That should happen about every week. You're not telling the truth if you're not offending somebody pretty often. We, we sometimes get thinking that... Um, well, I don't want to be an offense. You know, this isn't my place. Yeah, it is exactly your place to offend people mildly now. <laughs> not cussing them out, not telling them off, but just telling the truth such that it stabs them a little bit. That ought to be something that you do a lot. And Paul is happy doing it. You say, well, now one thing you definitely don't want to do is you don't want to do anything that brings up any racial problems. That's exactly what Paul heads right straight into. Look at uh, 26, verse 2. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused of the Jews. <laughs> it's a racial issue. There is a big racial problem going on right here in the book of Acts where the Jews, as soon as you bring up the Gentiles, are ready to kill Paul over it and just about do. That's true. Right. And then, whenever you bring up the Jews to a bunch of the Romans, they are ready to spit and can't stand it. And Paul brings up a racial issue and says, I think myself happy. You know why we don't have more happiness? We don't just go ahead and jump in on something that needs to be said. Oh, that's me. My bad, my problem is I go to the extremes. I mean, they're over here telling everybody, boy, oh, you're the sorriest thing because you won't do it. Or I just go, well, I'm not even going to jump into that. I'm just not going to get <laughs> No, what you do is you take a, a good middle-of-the-road stance that isn't exactly calling them names and fussing, but isn't exactly running away from the controversy either. Just go ahead and truthfully handle it head on. Amen. And he brings up race. Verse 3, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. All right, Paul, you already mentioned the racial thing. You don't have to keep saying it. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. I mean, he, he just keeps hitting that sore spot. Now, he's not calling them names. He's not being mean. He's not screaming and yelling and railing and reviling, but he's not hiding from the issue either. I, I always admire people that can do this because I, I just can't. I, it, it goes against my nature. It is real hard to just hold that frame and be professional about it. Look at verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Well, who were they? Fathers of the Jews. Verse 7. Unto which promise our 12 tribes. Who's that? The Jews. Instantly serving God day and night, hope to come, for which hope sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Here's what you do. You want to be happy? Go ahead and wade right into the controversial subjects and don't hide from them one bit. But don't go too far and just be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. You go ahead and talk about the controversial issues, telling the truth about all right, here's another good controversial problem that you should go ahead and wade into if you want to be happy, and that's religion. Look at verse 5. Which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Did you know you should go ahead and handle the religion issue? You should go ahead and deal with the fact that you disagree with people about their religion. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Isn't that what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Mm -hmm. He just openly said to that woman, knowing it would offend her, she was a Samaritan. said, you, you guys don't even know what you worship. Jesus went right in there. He didn't, he didn't sit there and run her down and call her names. But he did tell her the truth, didn't he? 
you go ahead and deal with the race issue, and you deal with the religion issue, and you deal with the resurrection issue, verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? There are certain people that when you start talking about the supernatural acts of God, the miracles, and the rapture, and the dead coming up, you know, they, they don't want anything to do with that. I know at, at least at one point in Thomas Jefferson's life, he liked the Bible and wanted stuff out of the Bible, truths out of the Bible, but he didn't like the miracles and the supernatural part of the Bible. So he, he would read a New Testament, at least for some point of his life there, where he would get rid of the miracles and that sort of thing. And just read the, you know, the, the good moral teachings and that sort of thing. And so some people, because they don't want to look stupid, and they don't want to look crazy, and they don't want to look superstitious, will get rid of the miracles and the, uh, the supernatural parts. No, the resurrection is necessary. Oh, boy. It is part of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is what has the power. It's what will save somebody's soul. Now, there will be people who will shut you off as soon as you bring up something spiritual and supernatural and, and things like resurrection. But that's part of the gospel. Go ahead and head right into that controversial subject of race or religion or, or resurrection. Here's another good one. The Redeemer. Verse 9. Uh, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Look at verse 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Go ahead and deal with the Lord Jesus and who he is and who he was and talk about him. Now there will be people that don't care for that. There will be people that have great disagreement with you and they'll say, well, he was a good teacher, but you know, he wasn't the son of God. Go ahead and headlong, head right into that. Well, here's a good controversial one, verse 14. And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Verse 20, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Here's a controversial subject you should hit right into, repentance. Paul, in uh, verse 14, is persecuting Jesus and kicking against the things that was pricking his heart and telling him that he was wrong. And the Lord said, you need to turn completely around. You know what that is? Repentance. Amen. You know what that is in verse 18 when he opens their eyes and turns them from darkness unto light? That's repentance. You know what Paul was preaching in Damascus and Jerusalem and all the coasts of Judea and then to all the Gentiles? That they should repent and turn to God and do works. Meet for repentance. Now there are some people that say salvation by grace through faith means you don't even mention works. They won't even use gospel tracts that say that there ought to be a change in your life. The Bible never runs away from that. The Bible says the words of the, the, the work of the Apostle Paul himself was to teach that people should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. It doesn't say that works is part of your salvation, but neither do you go, oh, I can't mention works. I can't say anything about works. The Bible mentions works and repentance Amen. right in the same verse, right in the same sentence with somebody getting saved. We're not saying that you're saved by those works, but neither do we run scared to death of them. You know why we don't? Because the Bible doesn't. It mentions salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. It's simply receiving a gift. But you're a pretty sorry person if when somebody gives you that good of a gift, you say, and I'm not going to do a cotton-picking thing for them. And that's what you do whenever you say, well, I'm not even going to mention any works. Uh, yeah, they should. You should. The Bible does. And we just read one of many, many passages that do. All right. Race, religion, resurrection, redeemer, repentance. Here's another happiness of conversation. You ought to talk about your rejoicing. Turn to Philippians. Philippians, my goodness, that book of Philippians, even though it's in a, written from a 
from a prison is forevermore talking about rejoicing and joy Amen. and gladness. All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Notice how that sounds different than the people that talk about how happy they are today. They're saying that stuff where you can tell they've been talking with somebody that messed with their minds a little bit, saying, I really like who I am now, and I'm really happy now, and I've, 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 I've learned that I'm just not going to put up with people that bring negativity in my life. And that's not what Paul's saying here. He no. said, brought negativity in my life. They beat me with 40 stripes and threw me in jail, man. And yet Christ is preached and I rejoice and therein will rejoice. None of this. Oh, well, they brought negativity in my life and I'm so much happier now and I really like who I am. I know. Totally different topic. Yeah. One's the Holy Spirit and one is some other spirit. Do you see? They don't talk the same way. Somebody's wrong. Somebody that has biblical rejoicing is saying, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Jesus is never mentioned or barely mentioned by the bunch that has the modern idea of these things. All right, look down at verse 25 in Philippians 1. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Happiness of conversation brings up your rejoicing, but it is in Christ Jesus, not in finding yourself. The fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself, the book of Proverbs says. The emphasis is not on you in biblical rejoicing. The emphasis is on the Lord Jesus Christ in biblical rejoicing. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. You know what that is? That's happiness of conversation. Happiness of conduct, get busy. Happiness of conversation, get talking. And yes, about the controversial subjects too. All right, now, happiness of conscience. This is a big one in uh, psychology circles. Freud. Freud made a big deal about this. He got noticed that people were miserable when they were around feeling guilty all the time. So he says what we need to do is get rid of guilt. No. We need to get rid of the sin that causes the guilt. Amen. Romans 14, 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. All right, here's the key to happiness. Quit doing stuff you feel guilty about. Just don't do it anymore. <laughs> now, I get it. We're not going to do that perfectly. But as much as possible, stop your meanness. Stop your sinning. Stop your wickedness. The stuff you feel guilty about, quit it. When you leave stuff undone and it's a burden to you and you feel guilty in the back of your mind and somebody brings it up and you snap at them because you're in a bad mood because you've got a guilty conscience already stabbing you about that. Hey, I know. Straighten up. Why? Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Happiness of conscience. So number one, don't um, have a bad conscience toward God. You know how you do that? You have a close relationship with Him. Every morning, get up and read your Bible and pray and have a relationship with God. And that way you'll have a good conscience toward God. Acts 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So number one, get close to God. Get rid of that bad conscience. Number two, toward men. Don't do people wrong. Don't lie to them. Don't cheat them. Don't steal from them. Just do people right. If, uh, if It'll save you some money, but it'll end up costing them a little money. Refuse to do it. Now, if you can save some money and it not hurt anybody, I'm all for you. But if you saving money means they had to take a loss... Don't do that. Why? Because you want a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You want to just know, hey, I don't do people wrong. Even if it benefits me. 
If it saves me 50 cents, but costs them 50 cents, well, not really 50 cents, but you know what I'm saying. If it saves you money but hurts them, don't do it. Decide, in the, in the self-help literature about 20 years ago or more, they used to have a thing called the win-win situation. You just take part in the win-win situation. It's a win for you and it's a win for them. You know what that'll do? That'll give you a conscience void of offense. Because you'll always know, yeah, now boy, when I get involved in a situation, I make sure it benefits me. Well, what about them? Uh, well, it's their job to look out for them, isn't it? No, it's not what Paul said. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. <laughs> what does that verse mean if it doesn't say look out for them too? It's exactly what it does. You want to be happy? Here's what you do. Have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Don't offend either one. Uh, here's a good one. In your own heart. Not just God, although he's first. Not just others, although they should come second. Jesus and others in you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others in you in the life of each girl and each boy. J is for Jesus, for he has first place. O is for others. We meet face to face. Y is for you and whatever you do. Put yourself last and spell joy. Isn't that what we used to sing? Yes. All right. Uh, 1 John 3.21 says it this way. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Oh boy. You know what robs you of your confidence in going to God and boldly asking for the things you need? Because you know your heart's condemning you. You know if you can cheat somebody a little bit and get by with it, you'll do it. If you can lust a little bit and not get caught, you'll do it. If you can covet a little bit and get by with it, you'll do it. If you can lie a little bit and nobody knows, you'll do it. And even if you hide it so good that nobody else knows, and even putting aside for a minute that God obviously knows, we can, all, we can kind of put that away because, well, he knows a bunch of stuff on everybody. I'm no worse than all the rest of them. But what about your own heart beating you up about it? Sometimes that's a problem that's robbing us of joy. Happiness of conscience. If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So there's happiness of conduct, happiness of, of conversation, happiness of conscience. All right, now here's an important for those of us that have been saved a while. Sometimes we do good on this for a little while, and then we get tired and give out. I call this one happiness of continuance. It's where you keep going. It's where years pass, decades pass, and you keep serving God. Boy, I wish I could bottle up some of that and make a bunch of Christians drink it. Happiness of continuance. James 5.11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. They last. They keep going. Years pass, and you know what they're doing? Still trying to live for God. Boy, I wish all the Christians I knew in the 1970s were still living for God in the 2020s. 1980s and 1990s as well. Happiness of continuance, that means endurance. Now, what is endurance? Well, endurance means keep going even when it hurts. Endurance means keep going even when it's been a long time. Endurance means keep going even when somebody did you wrong. Endurance means keep going even when somebody hurts your feelings. Endurance means keep going even when it ends up costing you some money, your family. Endurance means keep going even when your health is failing. Why? We count them happy which endure. Now, we should do it just because, boy, I do what I say, and I've told the Lord, and he deserves everything of me. And those are all good reasons and the most lofty reasons. But here's a lesser reason. You'll be happy if you'll endure. We count them happy which endure. Uh, it means uh, suffering. 1 Peter 3.14, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. First uh, Peter four fourteen, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. All right, be sure of this: be sure that the suffering you do and the endurance that you're, the things that you're enduring, are for your righteousnesses. Don't let it be because of the desires of your flesh. You know the desires of your flesh will get you in some trouble too. Amen. There's plenty of young man got in bad trouble with the young lady's daddy. And it wasn't he was suffering for Jesus. <laughs> he is suffering for his flesh. There's plenty of person got in bad trouble because of their love of money. But that didn't have anything to do with Jesus, did it? 
or righteousness or any good cause. Be sure you suffer as a Christian for righteousness sake. And what happens? We count them happy which endure. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Amen. You keep continuing and you'll notice I've got happiness. And the rest of the world that keeps giving in every time it's a little bit difficult. No, no, I might get fussed out a little bit. You know what they never reach? Joy. They never reach happiness. And they're so confused. And they're saying, well, I'd be stupid if I did that. That'd cost me. Sometimes costing you so you can keep a clean conscience is the very thing you need for happiness. There's plenty of people that never let anything cost them anything, and they got their millions maybe sitting in the bank, and you know what they can't do? Sleep at night. And they're trying to take pills and everything so they can have a little peace and a little comfort and sleep. They got a million dollars. They won. They didn't do anything that cost them anything. Yeah, and they don't have any joy either. Happiness is worth a whole lot more than any amount of money you can put in a bank. Happiness of continuance, endurance, through suffering for righteousness. But here's the most important point. Through reproach for Christ, specifically. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken, but on your part he is glorified. Acts 5.41, they departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You want to have some happiness? You be sure that the suffering you go through in life is for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. Specifically him by name. You be sure that when you give extra money over and above the tithe and you might have to do without some things that you could have done with that money, but it is for the preaching of the name of Jesus Christ. You want your gift? Joy. Somebody who doesn't do it, now they'll have a little more money, but I promise you they'll never have more joy than somebody who is suffering or letting something cost them, specifically above all other reasons, for the name of Jesus Christ. Hey Christian, what are you doing that is for no other reason? It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't please your flesh or put money in your bank account or give you a big reputation or anything other than gives glory to the name of Jesus Christ. There ought to be one or two things in your life you do that that's the only reason you do them. You don't get anything else out that's of them at all. Amen. Through reproach for Christ. Acts 16, 25, at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. I know plenty of Christians that are in a heated or air-conditioned house with an unbelievably comfortable mattress and unbelievably comfortable pillows and unbelievably comforter, uh, comfortable comforter on top of them, and they're not sleeping and having the joy that Paul and Silas had in this old-fashioned old -fashioned jail. You know what the difference was? One was suffering for Jesus Christ, and the other was just thinking about, well, how can I be more comfortable? There is more uh, joy that comes for suffering for Jesus Christ than anything that this world has to offer. Mm -hmm. You know what happiness of continuance for Christ is? Continuing through reproach for his name. I'll read you one other passage, a couple of verses here, and we'll, we'll close. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. You know, you've probably been taught that the word blessed in your New Testament is very similar to the word happy, very Amen. similar to happiness. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil, here's the key, for the Son of Man's sake. I don't want anybody to hate me. It makes me nervous. It puts a knot in my stomach if I think there's somebody out there hating me. And if they separate from my company and reproach me and cast out my name as evil, I want to defend myself. Lord knows I have wasted time defending myself. You thought talk about a thankless task and it doesn't work anyway. Just let people think what they're going to think. I wish I could live by that better. But... Blessed are ye that is happy when they hate you, separate you from their company, reproach you, and cast out your name as evil. Look at it. For the Son of Man's sake. Be sure it's for Jesus' sake. Now look at the very next verse. 
Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Now, buddy, if they're doing it for the reason that Jesus Christ is why you're suffering, you should be so happy, you should literally leap for joy, because you're in the company of the prophets, buddy, because you are suffering specifically for the Son of Man. And if you know much about the Gospel of Luke, you know that is Jesus himself. There ought to be a few things that you get that excited about. Some of us, you know, if our team wins the championship, boy, we're jumping up and down and yelling. Some people, if they win the lottery, boy, they're jumping up and down and yelling. I've seen videos of people, you know, and they were telling them they won the lottery and they're just screaming. And some lost loved one, uh, loved one that had been lost and they thought maybe they had died, all of a sudden that person is found, thank God, and they show up on their doorstep. And they're screaming and praying and crying and thanking God for this person. Well, one of those things that you ought to jump up and down and just kind of lose it over is knowing, wow, I'm in line with the prophets because I'm suffering for the Son of Man. I'll take that suffering because that means great is my reward in heaven. Now, a reward in heaven. How, how good are the rewards in heaven? Let's think about that just for a minute. I mean, if down here on earth you could win the lottery and it'd be, say, $100 million, <laughs> that's kind of life-changing, isn't it? Isn't that a pretty big deal? How many would, would live differently tomorrow if you were suddenly given $100 million tonight? <laughs> All right, now, that's earth. Reckon what the rewards are in heaven. I bet they're eternal. I bet they're things we can't even imagine. Amen. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Hey, brother and sister, let's be sure that we endure through suffering. But not because of our own dirty deeds, our losing our temper and doing something stupid, our beating somebody up or stealing somebody's money or hurting somebody's family. Let's do it because we're true to Jesus Christ and endure that. And then you know what it is? Great is your reward in heaven. All right, that's happiness of conduct, happiness of conscience, uh, happiness of conversation, and happiness of continuance. You want some happiness? Number one, get active. And the others will fall in place. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you.